0: to Protecting Our Freedoms podcast. I'm your host, Joy Vacherbeck here with my co-host, Mark Renahan. How
1: you doing today, Joy?
0: Good, Mark, how are you? Excellent. And today is the second in our four-part series titled Perspectives on Afghanistan, Past, Present, and Future. On today's podcast, we'll have a um, Army veteran who served in both Afghanistan and Iraq.
1: Absolutely. So today we have joining us Mr. Tyler Burke. Tyler spent time, as we stated, both in Afghanistan and Iraq as a member of the United States Army. He is retired now and enjoying horseback riding, as we just found out. But Tyler is here today to tell us a little bit about his career and his experiences in Afghanistan and what he thinks are some of the issues there today. Tyler, how are you doing? Oh,
2: great. Thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: Oh, thanks for coming on. We really appreciate it. So, Tyler, we usually like to just jump right in and have you kind of tell us a little bit about how you got involved
2: um, serving with the Army. Yeah, I was in the Army for an uh, Army National Guard for about 23 years. And I, I started as a, as a tanker and, um, and then moved to progressively lighter units. Um, 2003, 2004, I was in the 1st the Armored Division. Uh, I spent about nine months in, in Baghdad as a tank platoon leader and um if you remember hearing the the iron triangle um and then uh you know, spent some time in germany and ended up in afghanistan for the year in uh, 2010 and if you remember the the surge uh that we had and i was in rc east uh kind of north of kabul and um and then briefly spent some time in Africa in, in 2013. So, uh, you know, the first half of my career, I was uh, enlisted and, um, and I retired as a major. So,
1: Tyler, one of the questions, you know, we're, we're talking about Afghanistan here. And I, I know our last guest, um, she had never traveled out of the country, and Afghanistan was her first uh, foreign trip. Uh, I know I'm pretty sure you had traveled prior to your time in Afghanistan, but I was just curious, like, what was your initial? reaction when arriving in Afghanistan? And what was your overall take on the country in general?
2: Well, you know, I'd uh, previously deployed, um, but, you know, really hadn't, uh, you know, the first thing when the door opened of uh, the C-130 was to smell the smells and the blast of uh, hot air hits your face, um, like, you you know, headed back into the Into the Super Bowl again um, for a second time. Um, I really knew what we were kind of getting into. My first deployment, I was pretty young, 23 years old. Um, But then into Afghanistan, I was I think I was 30, 31 years old, and um, and we were very high morale, um, and we you know were on on a mission. And um, but I knew the you know the The moments were going to get tough, Um, and and they certainly did. Um, But we got through it, and um, uh, most of us came home.
1: Now, can you compare uh, Iraq to Afghanistan of the two places? I know there are obviously there are a lot of veterans who have been to both. But you know, you're the first one I've I've actually think I've spoken to recently. What what are the differences between um, Iraq and Afghanistan?
2: Well, really, I, the Iraq war was a, a war um, waged against uh, a single person, Saddam Hussein, and uh, his government. And in Afghanistan, it was a war waged against uh, terrorist groups, um, the Taliban and al-Qaeda. Um, in Iraq, uh, initially, we were basically fighting the remnants of what were the Iraqi special forces, very very soon thereafter, you know, early in 2004, it really became a proxy war between the United States and Iran. And the Iranian um, you know, Quds Force and, you know, their their special forces uh, did a lot of training and financing and, and equipping of uh, what was the insurgent enemy that we were fighting in, in Iraq um, in Afghanistan, we are fighting, uh, really basically two major groups, uh, the, the Taliban, which is, uh, you know, the religious, uh, backed, uh, their religious kind of government. And they came to power after the Soviets had, um, left Afghanistan. There was a 10 year proxy war between the United States, um, It was led by the United States, but it was kind of a coalition of forces, um, and we backed the Mujahideen um, in Afghanistan against uh, the Soviets. And when the Soviets left, we kind of left as well, um, along with our funding. And there was a vacuum uh, for leadership, and the Taliban stepped in. Um, And they, uh, they, they live in the 15th century. Really, that's their idea of what the world should be today, um, and those ideals really don't comport with the Western world. Um, they lent their support to Al Qaeda um, and Osama bin Laden, that's, and that's allowed similar. them to yep.
0: Sorry.
2: yeah allowed them to operate um, in their country, and and then that was after nine eleven. That was our you know reason. For our invasion um, of, of our conventional forces into Afghanistan,
0: that is similar to what our last guest was saying. And um, Tyler, thank you for your service there. And you said you were north of um, Kabul. Were you in Bagram area? And did you get to go to other areas in Afghanistan as well?
2: Yeah, I, I was uh, primarily uh, based out of Bagram, um, and our you know I went to uh, Kabul uh, a few times. And uh, you know, the Salong Tunnel, um, or you know, which leads to mazar Sharif, the big big town in the north, mm. um, was kind of the northern part of, of our area. And um, you know, we were a Vermont. I was in the Vermont National Guard at that time, and we went over as a brigade. Um, initially, we were under the 82nd Airborne Division. Um, and then the 82nd Airborne left, and the 101st Airborne took over. And that was our division command or the regional command. Um, that was our, our boss. So uh, we had units in, um, I want to say, seven provincial areas, um, and you know, mostly to the to the north and east of, of Bagram. Interesting.
1: Uh, so, Tyler, let me ask you some more questions. While you were in Afghanistan, um, you know, comparing it, to, you met obviously a lot of the civilians and the people. I know that right now uh, I've talked to some friends who were in Afghanistan, and a lot of people are concerned. You know, we had a lot of friends there that are now, there are a lot of Afghans immigrating to the U.S. Um, it, it's, a, it's a very different culture over there. As you were saying, it's 15th kind of century. Do, do you think that's going to be an issue with them, uh, when I say them, with any Afghans who are immigrating
2: to the U.S. today? but really the past 20 years, it's, they, we haven't had, um, Taliban rule. So, you know, I, um, there's, there's going to be huge differences. You know, I'll I'll just say that there's going to be huge differences. However, um, you know, the, the, the folks that at least had priority to immigrate to the United States are those people that worked with, um, our forces, as interpreters, worked for the embassy, and um, you know, so they're so they're pre vetted that their their values kind of comport with ours, and that they'll be able to uh, assimilate into you know um, our into our culture into our country. Um, but you know, the the problem um, that kind of that we were seeing uh, during the really uh, the botched evacuation of, of Afghanistan was just crowds rushing um, and we're not, you know, I'm just, I'm a retired guy now and just talking to other retired guys and maybe some people that are um, still in, you know, the, the plane loads of people that were coming over, you know, you'd see just full of like mail um, and not the, the families that we were kind of expecting. Um, and so it's like, okay, the people that we're letting in right now, um, are these the people that were vetted or, or were they just, they, you know, swarmed and, and, and they got in, uh, did they steal someone else's credentials? Uh, it is not sophisticated in Afghanistan and the credentialing is, you know, quite rudimentary. So, um, I would be, I would be uh just really hesitant to to make sure that the right people uh got in. And I'm just uh I mean, I've I'm heard a, a lot of that,
0: concerns about that as well.
2: Yeah, and, and a lot of the people that were were vetted and were promised uh safe passage to the United States were left abandoned. They're still there. Mm-hmm. Um and we had previously promised them a a ticket to to paradise here for in exchange for putting their families and their lives on the line for being our interpreters and working Mm -hmm. in our embassy and and um and we just left them um so it's you know that's that's concern as well
0: on that matter do you believe there is chances of still getting them out
2: uh absolutely you know as long as there is a um, a person that's alive, there, there's hope for getting them out. And, um, you know, there's there are efforts, I think, that are underway as we speak. Um, but, you know, I, I certainly think more can be done. Um, a lot more could have been done to prevent this uh, if we had retained the Bagram Airfield before yeah. collapsing that um, down into to Kabul that was the strategic error here
0: that's a when question gave, i had myself
2: yeah um you know when uh, as soon as uh the it was reported in the news that um the bagram airfield had been given up hmm. but we hadn't evacuated yet and we were pulling back to kabul um you know the a lot of us vets were um, <clears throat> sorry it's, it's, you know, it, you know, we were talking, um, it's an emotional thing mm. uh, for a lot of us because, sorry. No, <laughs> no, no, Tyler, no don't, I understand we understand, little, Tyler, yes, we absolutely. understand. It, it's, you know, it's, we We knew right then it was going to be a total disaster and it hadn't really hit the fan yet. Um, and, 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 but we knew because the airfield in Kabul is, it's in a city and there's no way um to easily defend that um and to facilitate the evacuation of, of people because as soon as you step one foot outside the gate or, or the wire uh you're in enemy territory where in bagram that airfield is surrounded by miles and miles and miles of open desert so uh people just are going to be covered uh, and it's very easy to get people into Bagram airfields to get them out. Um, and there's thousands of our security forces that were there that would have been able to facilitate that. Um, and, and then the question went up, okay, why did the uh, chairman of joint chiefs of staff, Mark Milley, who's a very competent infantry officer, um, SF uh, officer. He very basic um, military uh, strategy blunder. Why did he allow this to happen? Uh, you know, there's in the military when you're given an order by a superior officer, it's incumbent upon you to make sure it passes uh, the electric Kool-Aid acid test. Is it, is, it, uh, is it legal? Is it moral? Is it ethical? And um, if it violates one of those, then it's an illegal order. Um, is what we consider it. So you have then an obligation um, to disobey that order or just press pause, seek further clarification. Uh, and, and this didn't happen in, in Afghanistan. And you know we really saw the future about three weeks out, I think. Uh, and we, we saw it really unraveling very quickly.
1: So what would you like to, I guess, what would you like to see happen in the future over there? I mean, well, what do you think is going to happen? I know we discussed offline um, that there might be a humanitarian crisis over there shortly. I don't know if you wanted to touch on that. I believe that's already
2: happening. Yeah, uh, right now we are, you know, so the, the Afghan forces. Hey, Tyler, Tyler? Yeah. Tyler, you don't have a
1: volume button on your computer that you could turn up a little bit, do you? Could you lean in? I'm just having a little bit of trouble hearing you
2: you hear me now better?
0: I've got you. I All right, now no, I got you. It okay.
2: must just be my All earpiece. Right. Go ahead. OK. So the past 20 years, the movement of fuel uh, for heating and cooking um, has been facilitated by the United States military and by the United States uh, State Department. It has been paid for um, through. Uh, through, our, through the United States, and um, just that's the past 20 years. We've been um, doing everything really for them um, as far as paying for it, the transport, um, electricity. And now you have an entire generation of Afghans that are going to their first winter. It is very, very cold in Afghanistan. They're going to their first winter winter. Um, Where the heads of the electrical departments and the government agencies have um, been replaced with Islamic clerics. Um, And even reported in the Wall Street Journal, they really are having a tough time accomplishing basic uh, tasks that the government has to do to take care of its population. Now that um, the funding is largely gone. Um, and the security situation is deteriorated. Um, by this time here in, in November, um, we'd already, my unit in Afghanistan a, a decade ago now, uh, we'd gone through a winterization campaign where we'd provided security for fuel trucks, um, and got the Afghan population ready for winter. And, and now, um, They're going to be, you know, there's going to be families uh, in Afghanistan. There's like 4 million, 5 million people alone in Kabul um, that are going to be going without heat. And when it is freezing cold, that's really difficult. Um, So the next, you know, gigantic humanitarian crisis, um, which is going to be above the fold that we're going to see when we get into the winter months, um, it's really unfolding right now. There's little, little we can do um, right now, um, but the the unfortunate thing is the people that are actually running the company, uh, the, the country, is the, the Taliban. So what would I uh, like to see? What I think we have to see is we have to see um, cooperation with the Taliban. Um, and we have to provide um, funds and probably directly to the companies that, you know, in Eastern Europe that provide the fuel um, and to facilitate the transport of, of that fuel and, um, and those supplies, whether we like it or not. I mean, we spent the past 20 years fighting them, but... They're the only ones that are there right now. And it's a tough pill to swallow, especially uh, uh, doing multiple deployments um, and fighting these people. And we've been very passionate about it for a long time. Um, We just have to put the ego in the drawer. Otherwise, uh, it's going to be quite catastrophic. And it'll be on the conscience of a lot of us.
1: So you kind of answered what I'm gonna—I was about to ask—but uh, and not to get to whatever. But uh, I think you and a lot of the other veterans that I talked to are obviously—I guess I don't—I don't really have the right word for it—irritated that the Taliban is back in control. I'm assuming that it's just, a, like you said, a ridiculous pill to swallow, tough pill to swallow.
2: Yeah, it's it's very frustrating because we saw you know 18 months of not a single. US uh, or coalition combat casualty. The situation was clearly under control. There was security, basic security in the, the country. It was not perfect. Um, and the Afghan forces were, they were learning. Um, slowly, they were not ready yet. Uh, we it is, it is a fact that our intelligence agencies and our our service operations personnel have had provided feedback to uh the leadership the civilian leadership that controls the u.s military that the afghan forces were not ready to handle their own security you know when you when you break it you buy it it takes years uh, to rebuild um, a nation and if it was going to be a you know, a foreign policy change that we don't do nation building um, going forward. I, you know, that's that's great. I really don't think we should be, you know, personally involved in in nation building. Um, it, but when you're already twenty years into um, a really kind of a disaster, that um, you need to see it through. Would it take three, five, ten more years? Um, it's hard, hard to tell, probably, maybe, um, but we, it was critical that the Afghans be able to defend themselves first against um, a, a, a very capable enemy. And we did it such that um, we handed over $80 billion worth of U.S. military equipment. Uh, This is the latest and greatest stuff. Um, This is what our infantry, armor, and aviation units use. $80 billion um, in a matter of days went from the Afghan National Army um, and and Air Force and was handed over uh, incomplete to the Taliban. They have Black Hawk helicopters. They have Humvees. Uh, they have our uniforms. They have um, M4 carbines, 50 caliber machine guns, all ready. Night vision, color night vision, and they have a fully equipped military. Um, at least the equipment. And uh, yeah, it's, it's
0: unbelievable, Tyler, what they did there. And yeah. I, you know, I have two questions here. Like you mentioned about they weren't ready yet. Um, we don't hear as much about Afghan and what's going on exactly, but is there any resistance forces still putting up a the fight, to your knowledge? Uh,
2: not to my knowledge. I, I don't receive any up-to-the-minute uh, reports, but we do know uh, in, 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 as soon as the, the country fell, um, I had actually floated up through some friends that are still serving uh, the Pangaea River Valley. Mm. I spent a lot of time there. That was the last holdout that actually fell, and for a couple of weeks after the fall of Afghanistan, um, that that valley, um, that river valley, is, is kind of a highway that uh, goes up to a country to the northeast, uh, uh, Tajikistan. And my my suggestion suggestion was to to evacuate um, the forces that or the the friendly. People that, in American passport holders, uh, that are, that were left there, back out through the panjer River River Valley on the ground, um, versus you know, having everyone um, continue to go to the the Kabul Airport, where the Taliban had roadblocks um, set up. So, and,
0: and the dangers uh, of ISIS as well.
2: Yeah, the Panjshir yeah. Valley
1: is where Masood, I believe, who was one of the original mm-hmm. anti-Taliban um, Afghan fighters, w- it was originally from. They called him the Panjir of the the Lion of the Panjshir, yes. I believe, mm-hmm. back in the yeah, day. The line.
2: Yes. Yeah, the Panjshir Lion. Yes, absolutely. And you know, we spent a lot of months preparing for our Afghanistan fight, and uh, read read quite a few books, like the the Bear Went Over the Mountain and studied these um, ambush sites and read about these former Mujahideen commanders. And we had, you know, we had the unique opportunity to actually um, squat in the same ambush positions that were used uh, against the Soviets. And the burned out hulks of the Soviet tanks and armored personnel carriers were out in the um, in the killing fields, <laughs> like exactly as they are depec- depicted in in the books and uh, the battle af- aftermath studies. So um, that was really uh, you know unique experience. And yeah, it's, it's kind of seeing day. history
1: you know up front and live.
2: It, exactly, and getting access to places in the world and in cultures that. Um, you know, you can't go into Afghanistan today. I mean, it's, it's terrible. So. It
1: is to, to have had gone to war and stuff. I, I've always, I mean, it must've just been, I know it's a third. I don't want to say it's a 15th century, as you said, <laughs> society over there, but it must've been at least, you know, it's a, I'm trying to think of the right word here, but I guess interesting, it, uh,
2: whatever. Yeah, it, it was a developing, really... um, society. And the young people were, when we were there, the young people were going to university. And there were uh, entrepreneurs, and there were like women's uh, uh, medical clinics, and, um, and women were um, in executive positions in, in government. Um, but today, that has all changed. Um, overnight, uh, university students had to turn in their, um, that's DES. That we saw back there <laughs> so my wife uh des was in the army for six years as well okay. um and and they you know people had to burn all association with uh institutions of higher learning and um women were just uh immediately put into the burqa, mm-hmm. and um in a lot of in a lot of cases uh sold or Uh, married off to Taliban fighters, like within days. So it's really disappointing to see the rollback that took place in a very short period of time. And it did not have to be this way.
0: Yeah, our last guest, uh, she worked with Afghan police women. And she was talking about the same. Those
2: Afghan police women today are not Afghan police women. You know, uh, day number one of Taliban rule, um, any evidence of their prior affiliation or uh, or their or vocation would have had to been into the into the burn barrel um, instantly, Mm -hmm. Um, and they are um, in in really dire circumstances Mm -hmm. right now. I I just you know feel for them. Yeah.
1: Tyler, not to, to rewind for a quick second, but one of, one of the things that I know a lot of people were saying after we left Afghanistan, and, you know, you were talking about all the supplies that we left in terms of helicopters, Humvees, uh, there was a, an argument kind of out there from some groups of people, like, oh, well, we left them, and they don't know how to use it, it's worthless, but uh, I'm assuming that you would disagree with that statement?
2: Yeah, we saw, um, you know, uh, Black Hawk helicopter flying with, uh, you know, the Taliban flag, and the you know the pilots and um, they they have families in the area and pretty standard practice to just uh, hold the, the pilots and any people with a with a higher degree uh, hold their families hostage and whether they are you know sympathetic to the west or not um, it's a very clear cut choice if you want your family to live you're going to fly the helicopter, mm-hmm. you're going to maintain the helicopter or whatever uh, military equipment that we left there. And, um, you know, so we, we saw direct evidence. Um, you know, I heard the same thing that you did um, mm-hmm. from, you know, political leadership here. Oh, the sophisticated equipment, um, that just isn't true. And, you uh, their ability to obtain repair parts is is certainly terrible, you know, and they're not going to keep the aircraft flying for long, that's for sure. But what we found in 20 years of war, you know, these battles are are not um, won or lost with very sophisticated equipment. Um, it comes down to a lot of uh, footwork, in and out of the valleys, with machine guns and really a lot of the same equipment that's been around since the Second World War.
1: Boots on the ground is what they say. You can't win wars. With yeah, boots on the ground,
2: boots on the ground, backpack, ammo, and yeah, that's that's how the fighting is.
0: Uh, my second question going back, Tyler, to where you were saying we, they were not prepared yet for us to leave. Was there a plan at all in place? Um, other than just pulling out of Bagram and then Kabul, obviously after that, but was there a plan in place as well for the humanitarian crisis you were talking about, as far as not having oil and heat for the winters, somehow to, to be able there, to there's them off? there's
2: no there's really no plan um, that uh, didn't involve uh, coalition forces or a functioning Afghan um, defense department that uh, is financed by the international community, chiefly the United States. And when the decision was made to, to evacuate, um, it was just glaringly obvious that there was no plan or consideration um, for the Afghan people that would be left behind. And, um, and as we saw and as we were embarrassed on the national stage, mm-hmm. we left hundreds of Um, Americans with United States passports um, behind. Mm -hmm. And to this day, uh, the the last time I saw in the the journal, um, reports of over 200 uh, passport holders still in the country. And I think the current administration just wants the problem to go away, wants the American people to get bored and forget about it. Mm. Yes, because you don't
1: hear
0: as much about
1: it. Ignore the problem. It'll go away. I actually try that uh, strategy often, and it never works. So, But anyway, Tyler, we we have reached our half hour, and I don't want to keep you too long, as I know you are a busy man. But I wanted to thank you so, so much for coming on and talking to us about your time. I want to thank you for your service and for talking to us about Afghanistan. Thank you.
2: Thank you very much.
1: Yes, thank you, Tyler. And Doug owes you a steak, Tyler. Yeah. (laughs) I'll I'll make sure you
2: get it thank you very
1: much all right well Tyler listen we want to thank you so much for coming on for all you watching at home you can follow us on Facebook at protecting our freedoms we're on YouTube Rumble all of the social media platforms this was part two in our four-part series on Afghanistan we'll be coming back to you next Tuesday after this with yet another part of our series and we wanted to thank you for coming in once again we had Tyler Burke Tyler is a retired army veteran who spent who served both in Afghanistan and and in Iraq. Joy, you want to take us Yes,
0: out? thank you to our listeners. And join us again next time as we bring you the stories on protecting our freedoms.
1: Thank you so much. Have a great day.